Continuing our last meditation, we now ask, what do we know further about the nature of God from the Bible? We have seen that while we may know about the profound greatness of God from our observations of the mysteries within and without our beings, it is the blessed Bible, the Word of God, that reveals to us the real nature of God. What a thrill to the mind to discover from its pages that God is a great living personality instead of an impersonal collection of ideas and forces. And marvel of marvels, this great personal God shows himself to be much more interested in man than his size and importance would seem to justify. He is not only interested in man, but is profoundly affected by the way that man reacts to his great measures of wisdom and love. It is with great difficulty that we seek to understand why man should be so important to the happiness of God. This the psalmist was amazed at too when he wrote, What is man that thou art mindful of him? He concluded in his discourse with God, Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Thus the God who inhabiteth eternity has called himself the Holy One in the midst of thee. The Bible seems to make clear that man is not only the central interest of earth to God, but also in the universe. How profound can we get in our thinking, you ask? And yet the Bible justifies just this. Of course, the reason is to be found in the remarkable revelation that man alone of God's materialistic creation was created in the image of God. Man alone was endowed with the capacities to somewhat comprehend and respond to the being of God. Let us look further at the manner in which the scriptures portray the inner nature of God and be fully persuaded that the same traits of personality which we possess are found in the great being of God in an unbounding measure. First of all, God possesses a personal intelligence and invites us to think together with him on the great affairs of life. In 1 Samuel 2.35, God declared that he has a heart and a mind and is occupied with a purpose and a process of thought. And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. In Jeremiah 29.11, we read that God thinks thoughts of goodwill toward man. How the dear prophet had so many wonderful experiences with God. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God has thoughts that are infinitely higher than ours, we read. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The important thing we want to note here is that God is a great profound personality that has thoughts. He is currently thinking upon our situation and making decisions thereabout. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, we have a wonderful invitation from God to reason or think together with him about our situation. God must be a great reasoning personality, therefore. Come now is the invitation, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Moses left us a graphic account of his audience with God in the 32nd chapter of Exodus and verses 7 through 14. He dared to lay before God arguments as to why God should not carry out the righteous measures of judgment that he had proposed against this sinful nation of Israel. They had been left in the care of Aaron, you recall, and Moses had been up on the mount with God receiving instructions and the glorious law for 40 days. And now this situation developed. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Here was an occasion for Moses to replace Abraham as the father of the great nation Israel. But he in great humility declined. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel thy servants, to whom thy swearest by thy own self, and saith unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give to your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repenteth of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. He later again approached God in the greatest of humility and acknowledgement to intercede for his rebellious comrades, as in verse 30. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold, and yet now if thou wilt forgive their sins. And if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of the book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. So here Moses has carried on 
an intelligent conversation with God and pled with God in the heights of prayer. In 2 Kings 19, verses 14 to 19, we read about King Hezekiah of Judah, who too found that God could be petitioned and reasoned with in the time of dire need. The conquering hordes of the Assyrians had brought much oppression, and Hezekiah was faced with a letter threatening total conquest. This was about 700 B.C. But what do we read that he did? And Hezekiah received the letter of the hands of the messengers and read it, and Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. What a wonderful thing to do in times of need. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou alone. What a wonderful process of reasoning this was in this dire occasion of need. And then God sent a message to his servant Isaiah and commanded him to speak to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him, and so forth. And so God answered this petition, and we read in verse 28 about God's activity in turning back this raging conqueror. Because thy rage against me and thy tumult is come up into mine ears, therefore I will put my hook in thy nose and my bridle in thy lips, and I will turn thee back by the way which thou camest. How profound then is the biblical revelation that we have a great, wonderful, personal God in the universe, a God who can be reasoned with, a God who has personal functions, who has a great mind, and who is concerned with our very situation, who can be considered as our ally and as our friend if we truly are in a right relationship to him, a God who is in our midst, exercising his great intelligence, his great thoughts toward us, trying to elevate our thoughts into the realm of his thoughts, trying to give us the great blessings and benefits of his great personality, trying to enter into our lives in great and profound association and grant to us 
that very essence of life that's really worth living. How wonderful that our minds may be elevated to think along with the great mind of God. How wonderful that we have such a living personality in the universe revealed to us in the Holy Bible. May we pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank Thee for these thoughts that Thou hast revealed concerning Thyself. How we thank Thee for Thy precious Word, which has given us these secrets from the great universe, these secrets of Thy very being, that Thou art this great, glorious personality, longing to enter into our humble sphere of mind and elevate our thoughts unto Thine own great essence. Grant Thy wonderful truth and Thy seal upon Thy truth. And now may many repent this day, put away from themselves everything that offends Thy great deity, come to the cross of Jesus by living faith, find forgiveness of sin, and the entrance into the glorious life that Thou hast to offer to men's souls both now and forever. In Jesus' precious name, amen.